Ransomware attacks against hospitals are continuing, unabated, with many victims continuing to pay up. And BlackBerry wants to secure the code used in your driverless car. These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Many hospitals this winter have been dealing with a flu epidemic. Complicating their response, however, has been a cybercrime epidemic, ransomware. I'm joined now by Health InfoSecurity Executive Editor, Marianne McGee. Hi, Marianne. Hey, Matt. Have we seen ransomware infections against hospitals declining, or are these attacks continuing unabated? We're continuing to see these attacks. In fact, there was just one um, the other day at Hancock Health in Indiana, which admitted that they wound up paying a four Bitcoin ransom worth at the time, $55,000, in order to unlock its data in a swift way. The organization says that it has backup systems and data, but it didn't want to waste time in getting their systems up and running for their doctors to care for sick patients. One of the big information security trends that we were hearing about coming into 2018 was the prevalence and increasing prevalence of ransomware. Have we seen ransomware infections against hospitals, which have previously been such high-profile victims, declining at all, or are these continuing to escalate? It seems to be that way for some organizations. And yet at the same time, you know, we've seen other incidents where a hospital chain or healthcare system has been attacked by, you know, ransomware, but they've struggled and eventually recovered on their own. But in the meantime, patient care was disrupted. So we've seen both sides of the coin because, as you had said earlier, we're in the middle of flu season. Hancock has reported also that because of the bad weather that we're seeing, you know, accidents and that sort of thing, they just didn't want to take the chance of not being able to serve their patients. Healthcare organizations sound like they're still attractive targets in part because of the time pressures they're facing. Well, in the case of Hancock, they actually told me in a statement that it could have taken some weeks for them to recover. I was talking to one expert who said that part of the problem that some organizations, not just in healthcare, but you know anywhere really, is that their backup and recovery plans haven't been updated. Someone had said to me that, you know, if you have a 1990s recovery plan, it is going to take you weeks to recover if you have some sort of an attack like ransomware. Of course, the hospital was lucky. It got an encryption key back after it paid bitcoins. Attackers, however, might not have honored that payment. They could have come back looking for more money, for example. That's also something that the uh, law enforcement experts warn against, that there have been cases where an organization has paid the ransom and they still haven't gotten their systems freed up from the encryption. And that's the risk that these organizations take. This is a gamble. You know, you can pay and hope that you're going to get a quick recovery and be able to access your information, but maybe not. It sounds like organizations need to be not just backing up and restoring, but making sure they can reliably restore systems in hours, not weeks. That's correct. One of the other experts I spoke to in reporting this story suggested that not only should these organizations be regularly testing these recovery plans and disaster continuity sorts of plans during so-called peacetime, conditions, but they also need to be constantly sort of reevaluating whether or not they have the skill sets there to carry out these plans. People come and go. If you get new people in, make sure these new people know what they need to do in case there's an incident such as this. Marianne, 
Thank you for the ransomware update. Thanks, Matt. Coming up, we return with a look at BlackBerry's move to security services, as well as a move by the Department of Homeland Security to help the private sector with active defense. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Next on the ISMG Security Report, Managing Editor Jeremy Kirk looks at BlackBerry's move to secure your car. BlackBerry mobile devices are a rare sight these days, but you still may be using the company's technology in your car. In a pivot from its declining mobile business, BlackBerry is aspiring to secure autonomous vehicles from hackers. On Monday, BlackBerry launched a cloud-based static code scanning tool called Jarvis. The tool is designed for automobile manufacturers to scan binary code inside components from thousands of suppliers for software errors. Now BlackBerry envisions its future as a major player in the automotive and Internet of Things industry, leveraging its legacy in security. The shift from the left-behind smartphone pioneer to car security is not as surprising as it may sound. BlackBerry, which was formerly known as Research in Motion, was arguably the first mobile company to market security as a feature. Its encrypted email and messaging systems were used by the likes of former U.S. President Barack Obama. The company has continued to maintain a robust focus on security in areas such as device-to-device communication and authorization. That will be crucial for self-driving vehicles, which will communicate with each other while moving. Perhaps presciently, BlackBerry in 2010 acquired the real-time embedded operating system developer QNX. Its operating system is now in more than 60 million vehicles built by companies including Audi, GM, and Mercedes. Steve Wilson is a principal analyst with Constellation Research. He says BlackBerry has the infrastructure and security expertise needed for autonomous vehicles, and more broadly, IoT. Now, QNX is actually at the core of um, a lot of the automotive operating systems. You know, I think I think the Google car drive system and certainly a number of other um, big Detroit manufacturers, the QNX kernel is at the heart of the operating system. And the goodness there, just to sidetrack, the goodness of, of that is like it's 150,000 lines of code. That's all. So it's a relatively tiny piece of code. And they've got a handful of people that know that code backwards, you know, and it, it doesn't change. It's stable. It's just it's such an asset. Software is a patchwork of code, some parts custom-written and others taken from open-source products. The automobile industry is particularly vulnerable, and an often-echoed estimate puts modern cars running 100 million lines of code. Vehicle manufacturers are integrators at scale, taking parts and code from thousands of suppliers. That's where BlackBerry sees opportunity with Jarvis. Manufacturers can use the pay-as-you-go cloud service to scan for issues and spot vulnerabilities before the code hits the highway. Damon McCoy is an assistant professor in the Computer Science and Engineering Department at New York University. He says static binary code scanning tools are good at finding obvious vulnerabilities such as buffer overflows. McCoy hasn't analyzed Jarvis, but says BlackBerry may have a bit of an edge given its experience with embedded systems. But it's also possible that BlackBerry might be behind. Long-term competitors in the code scanning space include Vericode, which was acquired by CA last year, and Coverity, which was acquired by Synopsys in 2014. It's unclear how much better uh, they'll do in the embedded market than these other companies. That's definitely going to be a challenge for them in this particular space. Experts say static code analysis should be embraced by the automotive industry. Craig Smith is research director of transportation security for Rapid7. 
He wrote the Car Hacker's Handbook, which is a penetration testing guide released two years ago. He says cars now need to be treated like software with the same care taken as when building a network. Any kind of time you can do a review, um, especially before you get to final product, is the best. So, I mean, if you have a you know, a, a static code analysis that happens whenever you push, you know, per, you know, code up to your development chain, your, your production or whatever, um, have it get audited. It's fantastic. I mean, again, you're right. You won't catch everything. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. Moving now to a different type of defense. Last month, Jeanette Manfra, the Assistant Secretary for Cybersecurity and Communications at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, said the DHS wants to play a more active role in helping the private sector stay secure. On Tuesday, Homeland Security Secretary Kristen Nielsen, testifying before a Senate committee, was asked if she could share more details. I will keep it short because I'd be happy to talk about this all day and all the great things we're doing. Uh, In general, we're looking to do a couple things. We have, as you know, an automated indicator sharing program. We're looking to make sure uh, that once we've identified threats, we can disseminate that in not only a way that's actionable, but a way that's tailored to different companies and different sectors. We're also working with the private sector to understand what it is that's really critical. Traditionally, as you know, we've looked at 16 critical infrastructure sectors, but given the interconnectivity of the world today, we're moving towards a look at essential functions, which might cross sectors. So what is the function that is truly critical, and how can we partner with the private sector to not only give them information on known threats, but to help them anticipate threats before they get there? Nielsen told the Senate Judiciary Committee that DHS also wants to play a more prominent role in helping to bring information security defenders together. In terms of network defenders, we need to continue to connect them. As we see these threats propagate across the world, as we saw with WannaCry, the patching is extraordinarily important. I would say that the reason we did not have as many effects in the United States as we did in other places of the world uh, was due to the good work of DHS and uh, Jeanette Manfra's folks in terms of making sure that they communicated quickly with the private sector and that the appropriate patching was taken. So it's information sharing. It's making sure we're sharing in the right way. Uh, It's helping them with vulnerability assessments. And overall, it's agreeing together what is critical and what is the best way that we can protect it together. Nielsen also faced a question from Republican Orrin Hatch, the senior senator from Utah, about the department's approach to active defense, sometimes incorrectly referred to as hacking back. Here's Hatch. Is active defense a component of the department's current or planned cybersecurity assistance to the private sector? It is, yes, sir. But as you say, there is a wide disagreement uh, with respect to what it means. What we mean is we want to provide the tools and resources to the private sector to def- to protect their systems. So if we can anticipate or we are aware of a given threat, and as you know, uh, we've gone to great lengths this year to work with the intel community to also include otherwise classified information with respect to malware, botnets, other types of infections. We want to give that to the private sector so that they can proactively defend themselves before they are in fact attacked. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Catch you next time.